Hey everyone. We are reading Mark chapter 6 up to verse 34 today. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, "'Ask me for anything you want,' and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and the dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, so she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that had had been done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This is the word of God. Thank you, Chris. Verse 25, at once the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of these oaths and he's in the guests, he would not, did not refuse her, so immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. Such a dark text, such a dark episode. I'm looking forward this afternoon to contrasting the life of Herod with King Jesus, the shepherd king. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that you'd cut through our hearts now and show us the better way. Show us the way of salvation through Christ, our shepherd king. And it's in his, his name we pray. Amen. Uh, the human heart is a complex thing. We can't work out if it's glorious or inglorious, whether it touches heaven or is worthy of hell. I watched a show a couple of years ago. It was a political show about political assassinations and whatnot. Uh, about the Labor Party. You could have made one equally about the Liberal Party, but this was about the Labor Party. It was about Kevin Rudd. And one politician was asked how she could sum up, knowing very well uh, her colleague, how she could sum up compassionate Kevin Rudd versus controlling Rudd. And she sighed and said, people are complex. True. Also a euphemism true, also a euphemism. The Bible, of course, says much more than that about the human heart. It says that our hearts have far more capacity for evil than we can even imagine. Our default positions are defense, but we have more capacity for evil than we imagine. Blaise Pascal once famously said, humans are the glory and the garbage of the universe. We're working our way through Mark's gospel, and I've been really enjoying Tom's work. Uh, Tom's the new minister here, if you're new. Actually, he's the new minister here, if you're not new. And Tom decided, uh, I think, by reading scripture, previous experience, and some guiding from the Lord, that we should work our way through Mark's gospel. So we're looking at the life of Jesus, and as Tom has been pointing out each week, we're actually looking at the life of a king, a Messiah, as it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And so we're working our way slowly through it. Today I've got chapter 6 verses 1 through 34, but I want to set it in context because I believe that chapter 6 verse 1, right the way through to chapter 8 verse 21, is a unit of sorts. It can be broken apart, but it's a unit of sorts. And in Mark 8 verse 15, and if you've got a Bible open, you have to flick forward to see that. In Mark 8 verse 16, I believe is the controlling verse of 6 verse 1 to 8 verse 21. Jesus says to his disciples, he warns his disciples, be careful, watch out for the yeast 
of Pharisees, of the Pharisees, and that of Herod. I'll say it again. Be careful, Jesus warned his disciples, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and watch out for the yeast of Herod. I believe that chapter 6 is about the yeast of Herod and chapter 7 is about the yeast of the Pharisees. And so today we're going to talk about the yeast of Herod. Yeast, of course, is that little thing I don't know, I've got yeast in my fridge, you know, it's, uh, you open it up and it's just tiny little nothings. I mean, it looks like dust, really. Well, a bit bigger, but, you know, they're tiny. That tiny little bit that you put in bread that affects the whole, lifts it all up. Yeast is tiny at first glance, you can hardly see it, but when it ferments, it changes the shape of the whole loaf. And we all know what it means. A bad CEO can be yeast in a company. His or her management style can create fear or, or even joy throughout the whole. An employee who enters the office with an internal storm, you know the one? No one knows if they're okay today. No one knows if they'll blow their aggressive stack. And so everyone's walking on eggshells. No fun, right? A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. When church leadership is secretive, that's when churches become places where sin can grow. It affects the whole. The Prime Minister's managerial style is chaotic. Um, I knew somebody that worked for Kevin Rudd. You know, the staff will be up till 3, 4 in the morning, you know, in part because the Prime Minister can't sleep, right? It works through the whole yeast of dough. If chapter 6 is about the yeast of Herod and chapter 7 is about the yeast of the Pharisees, surprise, surprise, in the middle of this unit are two feeding narratives, both involving bread. Thank you, Meredith. Both involving bread. Jesus twice, this is a surprise to some of you, by the way. It's a surprise to some of you. Twice he feeds bread in the desert in Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is the only one that has two Feeding narratives. In the first instance, in chapter 6, we'll look at it closely next week, 5,000 Jews uh, are fed bread in the desert in chapter 6, and the other time is in chapter 8, 4,000 non-kosher people uh, are fed uh, bread in the desert, and the Pharisees make a scene. Both times I think you learn what to avoid the yeast to watch out for. I believe the yeast of Herod is this. The yeast of Herod is the use of power that diminishes, derides, and dehumanizes. It diminishes, derides, and dehumanizes. Jesus is contrasted to Herod in chapter 6. And I'll show you why. A very clever device. Jesus is contrasted to Herod as the true shepherd of Israel who feeds his sheep abundantly. And the reader, that's you, in case you didn't know, the reader is being asked, which of these two competing leaders will you follow? And I think a secondary question is, what kind of leader would you end up being? Because Herod stands for bully leadership wherever it is found. And today I think you'll see why millions, millions of people 
will give up their lives for Jesus, why a billion people choose him over all the despots, dictators, and bad bosses out there. Hopefully you'll see the reason as we look at the text. So, three points to make today, and just to make it confusing, the three points are, one, two shepherds, two, I live in the area by the way, that's a sound I love hearing. I've joined the Millers Point Action Group as a result. <laughs> I've reached that age. <laughs> Not true. One, two shepherds, two, two dinners, and three, two outcomes. Two shepherds, two dinners, two outcomes. So firstly, two shepherds. You can guess who they are. I don't know if you read it uh, when it was read to you by Chris a moment ago. There was a compare and contrast between Herod and Jesus. The story of Herod is a flashback in Mark, and this makes it a piece of genius. I'll say it again. The story of Herod is a flashback in Mark. It happens before the chronology of the events in Mark, and it's a piece of genius because Mark clearly wants you, by bringing this old event back in, he wants you to actually compare this Herod with Jesus and his feeding of 5,000. It happened before the events of this chapter, and so it has been placed here for comparative purposes. Herod's story is foul, and it just descends into chaos. And it is uh, outlined in verses 14 through 29. And then this, at the, verse 34. Uh, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, you've got to know that Shepherds are considered to be kings of Israel from Ezekiel 34. Perhaps I should have read that uh, before our passage today. So let me tell you the story very briefly. <clears throat> After Jesus meets ridicule in his hometown, then in verse 6, he went around teaching from village to village. Verse 7, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two. And he sends out his disciples out to follow in his missional footsteps. Now, news of this missional activity reaches Herod's office in verse 14. Jesus' name had become well known. We've been looking at that through the series. Thank you, Tom. Um, and there are guesses to Jesus' identity, but Herod has his own superstitious guess. Right? He hears about it in verse 16. When Herod heard this, he said, I know what happened. I know what happened. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. By the way, Herod is afraid of the wrong person being raised from the dead. So that's his thesis. It's a superstitious one. Why did he think this? Well, we get a flashback in Mark in verse 17. For, flashback, Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. That's confusing, by the way. Herodias married Philip and then ditched Philip for the power. Um, I believe the reason why John the Baptist opposes this marriage is because the marriage didn't end in any way that's allowed in Old and New Testament. It ended because Herodias just went looking for the power. And interestingly, Herodias and Herod are married, sharing the same sort of name. But all of this is past tense. King Herod is the puppet king in Israel. He's meant to be the shepherd. Herod had married his brother's wife, 
which at the time was determined to be incest as a, a definitional phrase, and John was the one who was brave enough to call him out. And then you get this account of the beheading of John. Kings in Israel have been known as shepherds since David's time, and Herod was their shepherd at that time. But of course, there are two shepherds here, two rival kings. You know that from verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, what's being said? Well, what's being said is that the guy in the palace is a fraud. There's only one shepherd in Israel, and his name is not Herod. This is dangerous. This is deeply dangerous. Secondly, two dinners. Two dinners. Two shepherds, two dinners. Herod's dinner is a farce. It's a foul feast. An orgy of killing and indulging. That show I watched um, about the political assassinations was called The Killing Fields, but, you know, that's just hyperbole for politics in Australia. This is The Killing Fields. That's what this is. Same, well, you, uh, you could argue similar continuum, but this is The Killing Fields. What happens? Herod liked John. This is the crazy thing. He liked to listen to John, sort of teetering on fascination. Like John knows him and can speak into his life. But Herodias, his wife, hated John, for John had been saying that his marriage was not right. And so to please his wife, he had John put in prison. But, you know, he still wants to listen to him. Happy wife, happy life. But Herodias couldn't have him killed. Then the birthday feast, verse 21. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Herodias's young, nubile daughter comes in and I don't know how to view it. I mean, it's just, I, I don't, I mean, she gyrates in front of her, all her male guests. It's disgusting. You know, you could imagine Herod was drunk. Maybe the guests were. Doesn't say so, but it would be not hard to imagine. Well, maybe the key is his dumb bravado. Maybe that's the key to potential alcohol. The king said to the girl, ask me anything you want, and I'll give it to you, up to half my kingdom. I mean, really, you know, what, over, over, under promise, over deliver. I mean, really, half my kingdom, anything you want? The daughter asked the mother, so many options, right? Her own iPad, new car. The mum says, you go and tell Herod, I want the, John, the head of John the Baptist. And Herod can't say no, not just because of his oath, to, to, uh, to the daughter, but to satisfy the guest, verse 26, he's so full of fear. Ironically, because people are afraid of him. And so he sends the execution of verse 27. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a dish, a platter. You know, head, blood all over it, eyes rolled back. He presented to the girl and she gave it to her mother, Verse 29, on hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Jesus will experience the same fate, I'm a different method of dying, with the same weaknesses of the same Herod. The use of Herod is the use of power that diminishes, derides, and dehumanizes. Watch out for it. But there's another dinner and this will be unpacked next week, and it deserves its own reflection. Jesus feeds hungry Israel food in the desert. 
We tend to misread the feeding of the 5,000. We tend to think of it as a nice picnic. You can even imagine the egg and spoon race. But this is not that. The desert is where Israelites went to organize a revolution. And that's why many commentators say that there are only men there. Out in the hill country, off the grid, away from the police force, you can mobilize and rally a cause. It's the same now in various parts of the world. My father used to do uh, mission work in the northwest frontier province of Pakistan. And you don't know what was ha happening out there in the hills. Same thing here. Israel was done. They were cooked. They were done with Rome, cooked with Herod, ready for the kingdom of God, ready for God to restore all things, as we've been hearing about. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, they're like, yes! And we go, what does that mean? They go, yes! This is everything we want. Everything God has promised. And like Moses, who led them and fed them in the desert, they wanted the one to come after him. Um, in Numbers 27, verse 16, it says this. Moses said, Numbers 27, May the Lord appoint over someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. That's Numbers. That's the Old Testament. And quoted right here by Mark. As you know, they interpreted that to be a political and military leader. Moses chose, chose Joshua, which is Yeshua in the Greek, Yeshua. But here's another Moses in Mark's gospel. In fact, the one to come after Moses, another Yeshua, Joshua. In fact, here is God himself, Psalm 111, verse 5, God provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. What does this shepherd do? He feeds others. Herod feeds himself. Yeah? Thirdly, two outcomes. Herod's banquet brings death. Head on a platter. Jesus' banquet brings life. Herod's banquet brings despair. Jesus' banquet brings hope. Both banquets end with a body in the tomb. Herod's banquet ends immediately with John the Baptist's head in a tomb right here in chapter 6. But the same Herod will eventually get Jesus, eventually, and Jesus will die that's the trajectory forward in Mark's gospel. Don't want to give away the ending. Tom's been very good at not giving away the ending. Jesus will die, and he will have his disciples place his body in a tomb. But in doing so, Herod will seal his own fate before God, because only one of them has the power to overthrow evil, and Jesus does this by rising from the dead. So, who will you follow? Will you become a Christian this afternoon? A follower of Jesus, I mean. Not a person wearing a tag against somebody else wearing a tag. I mean a follower of Jesus. This Jesus, here, is the same Jesus you can trust today. And he's better than all the presidents and prime ministers better than all the CEOs, even the good ones. 
and civic leaders. And his heart is not complex, not in the sense that I spoke about earlier, not complex as an excuse for sin. This one has not sinned, but rather leads his people. But people with, who are familiar with the story won't do it. They won't follow Jesus. Go right back to chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, right, familiarity town, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. A bit like Harry, the, on one hand, amazed. They appreciated his teaching. Where did this man get this thing from? What wisdom has been given to him? What are the remarkable miracles he's performing? By the way, that line there, those set of questions there, is the experience of a lot of people who read the Gospels and are open to God. They're like, wow. The teaching is like significantly above other things I hear. The wisdom is significantly above other things I hear. But it's not enough to make them want God. So in verse 3, they default to um, cynicism. Isn't this the carpenter? Like, <clears throat> isn't this a guy who, you know, you know, the tradie we know, you know, and love? I mean, you know, that kid we played around with? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Important, by the way, to name the brothers of Jesus. Mary had other children. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus then effectively says to them, and I think to us, beware familiarity. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown among his relatives and in his own home. It's a couple of double negatives here. You go home and they don't respect you. You go home, they don't respect you. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I think the only good thing that Darth Vader says before turning is, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Well, it fits the words of Jesus in verse 6, rather ironically, Vader being a Herod. But quoted by Tim Keller at the beginning of that remarkable book, the late Tim Keller, that remarkable book, The Reason for God. I find your lack of faith disturbing. But maybe you choose to believe. If you did, what would you find? And that's where the joy in the chapter lies. You'll find two things here and more things next week. You'll find, really, he teaches. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, verse 34, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. They're all hungry for a revolution. So what do you need if you want to be a part of a revolution? I'll tell you what, weapons training, that's what you need. Ask the guy who used to be in the army. You want to know what to do and how to do it, who the enemy is and which way to point the guns. That sort of revolution is happening all over the world today. And that's what they wanted then. In John's account, the revolution is specifically named. We read in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to make him king by force. That's all next week. But Jesus knows that this is not the way for him to be made king. This has to happen by him dying, by him giving up his life. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so he teaches. He comes with words about the kingdom, as we've been hearing for a number of weeks now, with words about waiting for God to clean up the mess, with words like, clean up your own heart first, repent and believe the good news. Christianity is rightly believed that you advance the kingdom, that, that when you advance the kingdom by force, you do the wrong thing. Whenever the church has done that, we were wrong. And you can read John Dixon's Bullies and Saints for the proof of it. We've always believed in the power of teaching. Jesus teaches. That's what the shepherd does. What else does he do? And the answer is, of course, more next week, he feeds, he provides, he sustains. When we look at bread, what do we think? Carbs. That's what I think. When they looked at bread, they saw life. They saw it as life in the desert, on the way to the promised land. What does Jesus do? He gives life abundantly, overflowingly. This one can provide more than enough life in our dry world. He can forgive sins and gives hope. So what kind of leader do you want? And what kind of leader will shape who you are and what kind of leader you'll be? I want you to feel the tenderness of Jesus Christ as opposed to the bullying tendencies of our world. We say of prime ministers, all of them really, hmm, people are complex. We say of our bosses, people are complex. We say of our civic leaders, people are complex. But Jesus is the one true shepherd. He is yeast working through the batch of dough for the kingdom, for salvation, for forgiveness, for hope. Henry David Thoreau said this, he said, there are, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. You like that? Thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. Most of us can pick evil when we see it. Maybe we all want evil dealt with. We can spot it, maybe, at least in others, harder to spot in ourselves. But Jesus struck at the root. He knew that the human heart was the problem, and that's why he did not pick up a sword. Rather, he picked up a cross to defend, defeat sin itself. He touches the sickness of sin and heals us. He gives us life. Shall we pray? Father, may the beauty and humility and power and victory of Jesus be yeast in the dough of your church. Um, working its way through the hole. May it be yeast in the dough of our lives, changing the way we live, the way we see life, the way we see Jesus, the way we do leadership, the way we do work, friendship, play. Show us then Jesus Christ, um, the shepherd of the, the great shepherd of the sheep, and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.